Well, Thanksgiving is right around the corner, so today we're going to give some thanks, but we're going to do so in an interesting way. We'll do so in light of the fact that the respective Marriage Act was just passed by the Senate. And uh, we'll take a look at that and some of the people who are endorsing the move. And then we'll also take a moment to look at Chuck Schumer's recent comments about this great theory that he has about replacing the population of the United States. And then finally, we'll take a look at some investigations that are going on into the Biden administration and beyond with collusion with the FBI and social media companies. Now, you may be asking yourself, where in all of that can we give thanks? Well, I'll try to help you see that and more today on Indie Thinker. Our show today is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. I know what you're thinking. It's a horrible time to buy because interest rates are so high. Well, of course they are high, but let me ask you a question. If you're just going to sit it out on the sidelines and rent, is it better to pay 100% of somebody else's mortgage or 7% in your own home? Of course, you know the answer to that. You want to invest in your family's future. And to do so, you need to purchase a home. And of course, The houses in the housing market today are sitting on the market longer than they ever have, which means you have a little bit more buying power and you can negotiate a bottom dollar price better than you could a year ago. And then you can always refinance down the road. So it's a great time to buy and invest in your family's future. But to do that, you need to go to kevinblairteam.com today and let those guys show you how they can help you get situated in a new home. No gimmicks, no things, tricks to try to get you through the door, but just great customer service. So go to kevinblairteam.com today and let them know that Andy Thinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Thanksgiving is just around the corner, so we're going to take some time to uh, share some thanks together today on the show. Uh, I'm going to give you three things that I'm thankful for, but also do so in light of what's going on in the world, because I think when we do that, we kind of gain a greater appreciation for the things that we're truly thankful for when we reflect upon how things are faring in the world around us. I am what is called a rational optimist. I don't believe in sugarcoating things or pretending as though things don't exist. Ignoring things is not helpful to to anybody. So I think in recognizing some of the things that's going on in the world, it gives us an opportunity to be thankful. So I'm going to kind of try to illustrate that for those of you who are watching today. And of course, if you're thankful for something, you can leave it down in the comments section below. But the first thing that I am thankful for is I'm thankful for my marriage. When I met my wife, um, I was was penniless and and struggling needless to say and and my wife just inspired me from the moment that I met her if Ben Shapiro can say his wife is a doctor I'll tell you my wife is a businesswoman she's got a great head on her shoulders she taught me to believe she taught me to aspire and she taught me to dream and it's one of the things that I admire most about her I believe it's Plato that described love as a true admiration rather than just pure physical beauty. Now, you obviously want both, but as a Kenyan friend once told me, you do not marry Rose, you marry Root. Um, and when he first said that, I thought to myself, dude, I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds cool. But but I thought about it more, and ultimately, what he was saying is this, is that winter will eventually come, and when it does, the flower will fade, but the root of that flower, uh, the stem of that flower that's that's in the ground, the thing that you don't see all the time, that's the thing that will truly last. Physical beauty is fading, in other words. There are things that matter more than that. Thankfully, my wife has both. She's not only a person that I admire, but she is also 
dead gorgeous. But um, she also has perhaps what is the greatest quality that you can find in a woman. She is willing to laugh at uh, laugh at bad jokes. And so she laughs at my jokes. And for that, I am very, very thankful. And my wife makes me a better man. And, uh, and I'm very, very thankful for, for my marriage. And I say that too, in light of what just took place with the Respect for Marriage Act. And I think it's something that we need to pay attention to. I've, I've found great benefit in thinking about things from wildly different perspectives. Now, just recently in Colorado, there was a shooting and the Democrats are quick to do just like they did with Nancy Pelosi's husband to try to point the finger and cast blame on Republicans who are decrying the Respect for Marriage Act for this act of violence. Now, of course, the two couldn't be further from the truth. So I want to try to illustrate why I think the Respect for Marriage Act is a little bit troubling, but also to why I think we need to have a clear definition of marriage. But for those of you who don't know, the Respect for Marriage Act is this generation's DOMA, Defense of Marriage Act. It's really kind of a pointless law that doesn't actually really truly do anything different. It's more kind of just there to posture. Um, it doesn't do anything different than the Defense of Marriage Act did uh, back when, when, I, when I was younger. Uh, it's simply a bill intended to kind of be a tip of the hat to, uh, to a voter block that I think that the Democrats wish to curry favor with. Um, and, and again, they're, they're right now doing this very routine with this Colorado shooting that just took place. So I do want to stop and say right now Thanksgiving is going to be a little bit more of a grim celebration for some people, and this is a horrible thing that happened, and thankfully the person responsible will be brought to justice because he was tackled by some brave people there at the nightclub um, and was held down so that he couldn't cause more more carnage. And whenever this happens, and it seems to be happening more and more, um, whenever it happens, I think we should come together as a society, but also not forget that perhaps we need to be uh, mindful of the way in which we define things in society and perhaps even the way in which we define things in society has created uh, the kind of unmooring that we see in, in so many people. I hesitate to put too much, ascribe too much motive in, in the mind of a person who is clearly very criminally insane and very sick in the head. But, but I do want to say this, that regardless of what just took place, it doesn't stop us from standing up for real definitions and standing up for what marriage actually is, because the bill intended to respect marriage actually does the exact opposite. So while we decry what just took place in Colorado, we do want to take the time, I want to take the time, to, to talk about the Respect for, for Marriage Act. Um, so just recently, it was passed through the Senate, and the Democrats are trying to do the best they can to kind of push it through the House before more Republicans take over control over in the House. And um, and Republicans like Mitt Romney voted for this thing. Uh, and, and Mitt Romney slowly but surely is, if not already, becoming like the bizarro mansion. What what mansion is to the Democrats, Romney is to to the Republicans. And, uh, and he's not alone. Romney is a Mormon. And the Mormon church just recently came out and because they crave relevance, uh, affirmed this respective marriage act and called the LGBTQ community their brother and their sisters. Now, this should come as no surprise coming from a religious community who has had kind of a, a bad relationship with a definition of marriage in the past, but it just surely seems that they're willing to sacrifice uh, the their understanding of marriage for the sake of relevance so that they can curry favor with society. And this is exactly what, um, what the Democrats seem to be doing. There seems to be this kind of gamut, right, that 
people will try to hedge their bets by doing something that is a little bit controversial if they can shame the other people on the other side of the issue into silence. They'll take that bet um, and, and they'll double down even if it is with a with a minority community and 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 so I think the respect for marriage act has some issues now I know people will be asking as they're watching this why do you care why can't two consenting adults that love each other get married what why would you have an issue with that and so here's a couple reasons why and the first one is this homosexual marriage homogenizes marriage. This is why I don't think the Respect for Marriage Act is helpful. And what I mean by that is that the beauty of marriage is that, you know, as Paula Abdul told us in the past, opposites attract. So when you put a man who is distinctly different from a woman together in a marriage, it 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 completes you. Completes you. You complete there, there is a complementarian nature to marriage that is vitally important. And even if you have two men that are, that are pretty different to, than each other in personality, those two people are more alike than a man and a woman ever will be. We cannot lie to ourselves about this. And this homogenization of marriage takes away some of the beauty of two people who are very different completing each other. And that's one of the beautiful things about marriage. And then the second thing I would say is this, is that... The reason the state is even involved in marriage in the first place is because it wanted to provide incentives for the reproductive act of marriage and its role that it plays in society. So for homosexual couples to get those same benefits, it's actually it actually could be considered theft. Um, you're taking a benefit that should go to people because of what they are providing and taking it away from people and giving it to those who cannot provide that same thing. So this deserves some explanation. So back before the second wave feminist revolution, uh, there was a different way in which marriage was defined. It, uh, according to the state, it was a economic, uh, an, an, an economic arrangement. And this is seen in Stephanie Kuntz's uh, Marriage, A History. Now, I don't agree with almost anything in the book, but she does actually do a good job of talking about the history of marriage. And the history of marriage is such that before the 70s, marriage was seen as more of an economic institution. And now, now we're changing the definition of marriage to match a feeling that we call love. And that's what the uh, the state is being compelled to do. And the reality is this, is that when you have a, a loving union with somebody, you don't need the state to tell you that it's okay. You don't need a piece of paper to tell you that you love somebody else. The state doesn't do that, and they shouldn't do that. I can't help but wonder if we didn't replace little g government with big g god if we wouldn't if we wouldn't be wanting something to affirm our feelings for us we would have enough self confidence to be able to do that without the state telling us that it was okay but the point is is that the state got involved uh, with marriage in the first place because it wanted to encourage the raising of healthy children because unhealthy children are a blight on society in that they are an economic drain on society when kids don't have parents and they have to enter the foster care system, when kids are not well adjusted and the crime rate goes higher, when kids don't have a healthy nuclear family, it ultimately becomes an economic drain on society. So the state got involved in encouraging the reproductive union, which is an intrinsic good for the state because it continues the economy, it continues the, the species in that state. 
they, they wanted to encourage that act, and so they wanted to do so in a way that encourages that act to happen within the best context possible, which is within the context of a man and a woman. Therefore, there were certain benefits given to a man and a woman because they can perform the procreative act to stay together and to enter into a socially recognized union called marriage. And that's why you got that little piece of paper. So those benefits go to two couples to encourage them to stay together and to encourage them to have kids for the sake of the state. Now, obviously, those same things do not apply to homosexual couples, and that is why you cannot give those same benefits to homosexual couples. And more importantly, and this is the most important thing throughout, is that the reason you really can't classify homosexual unions as marriage is because they are definitionally different. I spoke about the intrinsic value of marriage, and, and one of the intrinsic values of marriage is that it is a procreative union, and that is clearly not the case with a woman and a woman and a man and a man. See, it is intrinsic in that when men and women come together, they naturally have the ability to reproduce children. Without adding anything to that marriage, it is something that is given to them. See, we have to, in the present, lop on to homosexual unions the idea of love and all of these ex external, extrinsic things to try to make the marriage as valuable. And all I'm simply saying is, is that inherent in the union between a man and a woman, we see that there is a vastly different quality between the two. They cannot be classified as the same, which is why the, the definition of marriage shouldn't change and shouldn't shift with the times. And most importantly, it shouldn't shift with the times because it conveys meaning. But utopianistic novels like uh, 1984 show that the way that you change speech can dictate the way in which a society operates. Uh, you know, it's funny because as much as the left hates colonialism and con the conquistador period, you know, they are not afraid to absolutely steal definitions, rape and pillage them of their meaning, and then create new meanings in their place. They're absolutely for intellectual colonialism because that's what happens when you constantly redefine something. It tends to lose its meaning. This is what G.K. Chesterton was alluding to when he said, if you see a fence, you better ask why it's there before you take it down. Because fences are there to keep things from coming in that are unexpected or to keep things from going out that shouldn't have gone out in the first place. And so the fence is there to protect. And when you take it down and you shift meanings merely to stay relevant to society, you're actually injuring the thing that you're meaning to protect. And this is what our good friends over at Christianity today do not understand. They consistently miss the point, and they are more—they look more like today than they actually do like Christianity. And they recently did an article over there, an opinion piece, and the author of that article talks about the Respect for Marriage Act, and I wanted to, you to hear what he has to say about it. And in the article, it says this. This week, the Senate advanced the Respect for Marriage Act. The law tries to balance the unquestionable goodness of traditional marriage, at least they're willing to acknowledge that, anyway, uh, with America's changing views on same-sex relationships. Some conservatives will undoubtedly treat the act as a loss, but others will take a view that in a morally pluralistic society, a few concessions yield a win for the common good. I'm one of them. Now, I've ceased to be shocked by the takes that Christianity today has on a myriad of issues. This is just the latest in a continual liberalizing of Christianity today to win favor. But to suggest that the common good is being established by the destruction of the definition of marriage is... Uh, 
is, let's just say, a very unique and thoughtful take from Christianity today. Now, there are some people in society who refuse to play this definition game and don't want to destroy the definition of marriage, and one of them is Candace Cameron Burr. She just recently got a lot of heat because she just joined a a new station that's uh, kind of in competition with the Hallmark Channel called The Great American Family, and on it they're going to be doing kind of Christmas movies, and she just recently stated that on the the channel that they're going to be doing traditional marriages or, you know, quote, traditional marriages, but she means is real marriage. Um, they're going to be highlighting those stories and not gay stories. And that brought some some backlash. And uh, I want to show you what uh, a writer over at Yahoo had to say about this, because I think it's important to the whole idea of the changing of definitions and why it, why it matters. But the article says this. Just a couple of days earlier, actress Candace Cameron Burr telling the Wall Street Journal about her decision to go from the Hallmark Channel, which will soon present its first gay-themed Christmas movie, to the Christian-forward Great American Family. That channel, she said, would not feature same-sex couples in its holiday movies, noting, quote, I think that Great American Family will keep traditional marriage at the core, end quote. Burr's comment triggered LGBTQ Twitter, prompted criticism from various celebs, and put the, quote, devoted Christian on the defensive as she issued a lengthy statement that called the growing chorus of criticism an attempt to, quote, assassinate, end quote, her, quote, character, end quote. Now, I just think it's funny that uh, we're that this author put her character in in quotes because this smug LGBTQ activist uh, is expecting that I don't I suppose that Christians like Candace Cameron Burr won't really defend herself and strike back. So far be it for me to ever be sarcastic, but I would like to say this: that I'll just say that the way you Yahoo and uh, you specific writer over at Yahoo talk about quote marriage, no other quote civilization has ever really talked about it that way. And this non-procreative definition of, quote, marriage that you have, uh, if it were widely practiced, would, quote, make us all dead within a generation. So I think we should, quote, rethink our definition of marriage and why it matters. The article goes on to say this, but the phrase traditional marriage is a dog whistle to the many queer activists, individuals, and allies who have been down this road before. Now, I love this word dog whistle because like uh, many other words in our society today, um, dog whistle is being clearly overused and is losing all of its definition. Uh, the phrase dog whistle is loony, losing meaning uh, slowly but surely, like many of the words the left uses, like racism, white supremacy, extremism, diversity, and many other words, and not the least of which and the latest of which is the definition of marriage. So the question comes back, why do we care? Because definitions matter. Definitions matter when you're constantly changing the definition of, of them. It conveys a sense of meaninglessness when you constantly change the definition. If I constantly called you by a different name every time I saw you, you wouldn't say, well, he has a growing appreciation for who I am. He would say, that person has no idea who I am. You'd start to get the impression that I don't care about you very much. If we're going to talk about marriage, by the way, we should also have a good grasp on what it means, and it should mean something. And besides, if we're going to dis discuss love in the context of marriage, maybe we should discuss love in the context of truth, because for those of us who love the truth, 
We should fight for the truth and willing, be willing to stand for the truth, of course, in a metaphorical stance. Be willing to have a conversation about these issues, no matter how much the left wants to extort us or try to bring shame based upon what an insane person would do in Colorado. Clearly, that has nothing to do with a legitimate conversation about the importance and the beauty of marriage. And it is so beautiful that it's something that I want to stand for and something that I want to continue to be thankful for. Now, the other thing that I'm thankful for is I'm thankful for my kids. I remember just the other day that uh, I was talking to my son, and he said, hey, Dad, uh, some I got hit in the dots, and it hurt. And I was like, you got hit in the dots, and it hurts? What are you, what are you talking about, son? Where are your dots? And I was thinking maybe he's got so, like, some freckle on his shoulder or something like that, or maybe even a mole. And I got concerned because I was like, what, what, what skin issue is my son having here? And then I said, where are your dots? Point to it for me. And then, of course, he pointed to what we call in, in our household his privates. And, uh, and I just thought that it was very, very interesting. And kids, whenever they talk, whenever they um, approach you, they're always coming with something interesting that shows you the way in which the world becomes new and refreshing and interesting to kids as they're starting to explore it. And you almost get to see the world in a new way through their eyes as they're exploring it for the first time mainly because you can't remember back when you thought what you had between your legs were dots. But anyway, we won't, we won't go any further than that. But, but I think you get the gist. Um, I, will, I will tell you, kids bring a lot of difficulty into your life. Um, they, in fact, I have hundreds, if not thousands, of more difficulties in my life as a result of my kids. But there is only one thing that you need to know that makes it all okay, and it's that they're worth it. All of the difficulty that a child brings into your life, financial and otherwise, is worth it because they're amazing. I, for one, am thankful that Roe v. Wade was overturned this year. It means that there are more children out there who are going to have a shot at actually making it into the world and exploring what their dots actually are and figuring out that for themselves. More and more children are going to have the opportunity to breathe the air in the outside world and experience this life and, and cause their parents trouble along the way. But again, it's worth it all. And I think it's ironic that the Democrats have just recently come out, Schumer, uh, namely, and acknowledge the fact that we're actually, uh, that we actually have an issue with how many kids we're reproducing on the planet, especially in America. Right now, the replacement rate is around 1.7. And to actually replace, uh, you know, future generations, it needs to be above two. And, and so now we've gone underneath that, and Schumer just acknowledged recently that we have an underpopulation issue here in America. And he had a, uh, a great theory about how to replace people in the midst of that. So I want, you to, I want you to hear that. So here's him talking about what to do with the population issues in America. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, we have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. So this old eugenicist has finally come to the realization that perhaps 
their policies are counterproductive to the repopulation of the United States and the rest of the world. So wild idea here. How about we stop practicing gender-affirming care and sterilizing our children before they even have the opportunity to decide whether or not they want to have kids, and we stop aborting children in the womb, and in a short period of time, since we abort a a million babies each year, we'll be able to kind of start making a dent in in, in the population of the United States. You know, Schumer came up with this felonious, by the way, figure of 11 million immigrants have uh, come in and uh, w- that we could easily make them them citizens. It's probably closer to about 50 million. And, uh, and the truth is, is that in a short period of time, in just 11 years, since we abort a million babies each year, we could bring in those, uh, those people into the United States through the Reproductive Act and not have to do it through immigration. Now, this may sound incredibly cynical, but I just I, I caution you to think clearly on this one. Why does the party that clearly is not benevolent because they don't care about whether or not they chop off the working body parts of children or whether or not they break the spinal cords of babies in the womb, so this party that clearly is not interested in benevolence, why do you think they want to import immigrants? Is it because they truly love them or because they're looking for a new voter block? So the difficulty that comes through kids and that comes through raising children, look, I get it, especially if you're in, you're have an unexpected pregnancy, especially if you're financially destitute and you don't know how you're going to provide for these for these children. Look, I get it. I, I, I didn't know how I was going to either when I had my kids. Kids are difficult, but we can't keep on continuing to excuse, especially the act of abortion, just simply because we want to avoid the difficulty of getting our career started and any hindrances to that or the difficulty that may come with not knowing if we can afford it. Listen, part of the difficulty that comes to us as a result of having kids is really, really good for us because there's a way in which we derive meaning and purpose from difficulty because difficulty shows us areas of our life where we need to change and we need to grow. And difficulty also causes us to reveal unknown strength that we had inside of us that that was was hidden before. We, we didn't know that we had that strength until we got pushed in the position of difficulty to try to do it. And this is why We don't need to just willy-nilly abort kids just because we think that it might put us in a difficult position. And again, that's the vast majority of abortions that are elective. 98% of them come just simply because we are afraid of the difficulty that it will place upon us, the imposition that kids will have upon us. But I want to encourage us all this Thanksgiving to embrace imposition because it makes us stronger. It builds character in each and every one of us. And if if we forego the abortive act in the process, it saves the life of a small of a small child. So again, super thankful that Roe v. Wade was overturned. We're not there yet, and we still have more work to do. But if if even one baby was saved through it, then 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 that's something to be thankful for. And then finally, I want to thank God. Believing in Jesus Christ um, has has absolutely changed my life. I didn't do it just for the benefits, but it certainly provided an innumerable amount of benefits in my life that would be too much to even go into detail, but certainly one of which is this, is that I have a sense of overarching purpose and peace no matter what's going on in the world around me. 
And what I mean is not that God changed everything and made everything better or took away all my problems and my pain, but what I mean is that he gave me the sense in the midst of difficulty that it was going to be okay, a sense of understanding that that his sovereignty is enough and that he's with me through it all. In other words, he, he became an anchor to me that is bigger than my feelings. And I realized before coming to Christ that I was so driven, even as a man, by my emotions and my feelings, that they dictated how I perceived the world. And now I have, a, I have something bigger than my feelings that I, that I can trust. I think this is illustrated uh, really, really well. And what I can only call a key and peel moment by the president of FIFA, who came out, I think, kind of addressing the controversy with the uh, the U.S. men's team and them wanting to change their uh, flag to the uh, the pride flag on their on their uniforms and talking about you know kind of being queer affirming this year and all of that stuff and it being in Qatar and there being kind of some controversy there. The FIFA president decided to come out and be a thought leader for the rest of the world um, to try to defend uh the the flag and defend homosexual rights and 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 did so in the in the silliest way so here's him doing that today i feel uh, qatari today i feel arab today i feel african Today I feel uh, gay. Today I feel disabled. Today I feel uh, a migrant worker. So this is the way the guy wants to defend homosexual rights. He says that he feels disabled and he feels gay and he feels African. Now I'm pretty sure he's not from Africa, so quick question. How does it feel to feel African exactly? You know, I, I don't know that we'll ever get an answer to this because what he just espouses is the most ridiculous inane thing you've ever seen in your life. And in fact, it could be parodied and could be parodied by our friends Key and Peel in a segment like this. All the preteen children out there, listen to my voice. You are immortal. Okay, well, obviously we understand that Charlie is super excited right now and that no one is actually immortal. No. Now, for those of you who are just listening and not watching, you can always go to YouTube and subscribe where you can watch the show. But what we just saw there is a basketball player who's elated and excited about winning championship or whatever, and he's being interviewed by an, uh, a reporter, and he goes off the handle saying all of these crazy emotional emotional things about how he feels and about how uh, kids can do whatever they want based upon feelings. So ironically, the FIFA president didn't realize that he was leaning into the critique that people like me make about the LGBTQ movement, that you, this idea that you are your feelings. See, for the longest time, we've known that, of course, you are not your feelings, that you can feel upset and depressed, but you're, you don't have to be your feelings. You can feel like you're dumb and that you're not good enough, but those feelings don't have to embody who you actually are. And see, this is where God comes into play. Without God, we have the tendency to deify our feelings, to make our feelings God and to dictate to us reality when God himself is the only person who can sit in that throne. Our feelings shouldn't dictate reality to us because feelings are just 
feelings at, at the end of the day. But in the absence of God, we look for things that are unseen to believe in. We look for something spiritual, in other words, because I've talked about it on the show before. We try to suppress the religious impulse inside of the human heart. And there are atheists today who try to blame all of the things that are happening in society, either on Christianity or religion writ large, or on secularism, but say, hey, if we just lived in this beautiful society without God, we wouldn't have wars, we wouldn't have hell, we wouldn't have heaven, we wouldn't have anything. Atheism is the answer. But the problem with that is that there has been no atheistic society to ever exist on the planet. So it's complete conjecture. Now, you may say, well, we should still try it, Reed, but the problem with developing a society writ large based upon the idea of atheism is is that I think we will find that we will turn something into God, and we're seeing it now as we move further and further away from Christianity. We'll turn our feelings into God because we need something unseen to worship. We need something unseen to believe in, and a cheap substitute for that is our emotions. But I'm thankful to God that I believe in something bigger than my emotions. Because right now we're living at a time where at record pace, institutions are disappointing us in the American West. Now I'm gonna be fair here because you know I'm not gonna just talk about Biden. Let's say let's talk about Trump too. Trump is being investigated right now for taking those files and bringing them to Mar-a-Lago, and he potentially will be indicted by Merrick Garland. And you might say, well, that's just particular, that's just pure partisanship. But um, and and maybe it is. But but I also want to fight for the right for Biden to be investigated, and he is right now for collusion with the FBI and social media companies to suppress the Hunter Biden story. And of course, if he did do this, or anybody in his administration did do this, then it's something that needs to be looked into. The FBI is becoming more and more troubling as of late, as they spy upon Trump and as they spy upon. Um, other Republicans and try to do things like the Mueller report. And then the latest thing that they've done, which is to suppress the Hunter Biden story in favor of Democrats. It sure seems that this institution is leaning one way. Right now, another investigation into one of our institutions, there's an investigation ongoing to look at a 2014 Supreme Court leak and to look at the recent leak of the Roe v. Wade decision. Where are these leaks coming from? One way or the other, if you don't have something bigger than your emotions or bigger than human institutions to put your hope in, then I would understand the, the very real feeling of despair that, that so many in society are feeling today. And I would understand, frankly, unfortunately, the record suicide rates that we have. And, and hopefully, we can, we can turn that around by, by believing in something bigger than institutions, by believing in something bigger than human things that disappoint us. And I can think of nothing better than God. And placing my faith in him, I have found a rock-solid anchor that though I may talk about these things and though I may fret and worry about what goes on in the world around me, I still have something bigger than all of those things. It makes me want to learn. It makes me want to fix them. It makes me want to address them. But it doesn't make me despair because my hope is in something bigger. And I hope as you celebrate Thanksgiving this year, you have your hope in something bigger as well. It's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you for taking the time to watch this show. And thank you for liking, sharing, and subscribing. And oh yeah, this Thanksgiving, don't forget to go with God. Thanks for watching.